Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast, and thank you for joining with us to worship and learn more about God. We are so excited to have you be a part of this week's service. For more podcasts and services from past weeks, or to join us online on Sunday mornings, check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Now, enjoy the message. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Joe, and I'm one of the leaders here. And I brought my preacher rag today because it's hot outside and hot in here. So don't mind me if I break a little sweat. We're continuing our Bible study in the book of Galatians. So if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and turn to Galatians chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible with you, we're going to put the words up on the screen. And you can follow along that way. We've got two... Sundays left in the book of Galatians today and next Sunday and so we're really winding down in this letter which is what it is it was a letter written by a man named the Apostle Paul to a church in a region of what is modern-day Turkey called Galatia and I won't belabor the the main point of the letter you can go back to all those messages and listen to that if you happen to miss those But what we need to keep in mind for today is this, that the Apostle Paul in his letter over and over and over again has has attempted to hammer home the point that our relationship with God is not based on anything we do. Our, Our salvation in Jesus isn't based on anything we've done. He brought us into his family. He keeps us into his family. He pivoted, last week we learned from Pastor Josh a little bit, the Apostle Paul pivots a little bit and begins to give some practical application as to what that looks like. Okay, great. I I believe in Jesus. I have a relationship with God. How is that supposed to affect my life? And he gave us a list of these things. If you weren't here last week, a list of, of these nine things we call the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, patience, kindness, gentleness, whatever. I had a t-shirt when I was a kid, but I don't remember them all, right? These list of nine things he calls the fruit of the spirit, that, that if we've been brought into a relationship with God, our life looks like those things. Now, he intentionally used the word fruit because fruit is something that grows. The tree doesn't will the fruit to come off of its branches. The fruit grows because it is that tree. What the Apostle Paul is saying is this, if the Spirit of God lives within us, these things will grow in our lives because we've been made new. We've been made into a person that Jesus Christ has renewed. Now, he also uses this phrase that the the way that this works out practically in our lives is not just that we understand what these fruit of the Spirit are, but that we would in fact walk in the spirit and that's the language that the apostle Paul uses and pastor Josh help us to understand that a little bit by helping us to see the difference between someone who is inebriated and walking and someone who is sober and walking an inebriated person when they're walking oftentimes might stumble as they're walking a person who is sober may might be able to walk in a straight line. So what he's saying is this, is is that sin has inebriated us, and yet God has restored us through his spirit, and now we can, in fact, walk with him. I say all that to say um, that as an introduction to chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. So if you want to read with me, we're going to read through those verses, and I'll come back to verse 1. 6.1 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. 
Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he's something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. That is worth the price of admission right there, that verse in itself. Let's chew on that for a while. Verse four, let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor for each one will have to bear his own load. Let the one who's taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows that will he also reap for the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now, I want to uh, pray before we get in, um, and I, um, I'll say I didn't plan on this. This is just something that um, occurred to me before I came up here, but there, there are, we have a lot to celebrate, right? We've got a holiday week. There's a, there's a lot that we could look at around us to celebrate and be happy about. But before we pray, I, I, I want to say this, that, that while there's a lot that we can be thankful for and celebrate, there are people in our church who have recently gotten the worst news they, they could ever receive, more, more than one person. There are people in their church who are having the worst month of their life, Um, There are people in our church who are hurting, and uh, in spite of what's going on outside of these walls, while we're here together, the one thing we can do for each other is pray for each other. And so before I pray to begin the message, I I, want to just say that, that as I'm praying, I would ask you to pray with me. Now, I grew up in a church that when the guy on stage prayed, everybody in the room prayed out loud. I'm not asking you to do that. What I am asking you to do is, as I pray, if, you're, if you call this your home church, or if you have faith in Jesus Christ, would you pray with me for the, the people in our church who are hurting? Lord, we're so thankful that, that you sent your son Jesus to destroy the works of the devil. We believe that about you. We believe that you have power over, over all things that are, are plaguing the people in our church, whether it be sickness or anxiety, some sort of disease, other illnesses, surprises that they weren't expecting, Lord. All of these things can take us off guard. You're not caught off guard by any of them. You who hold all of the universe in your capable hands have seen the end from the beginning, and you are still on the throne. So we look to you, Lord as the one who restores all things. I pray that as we look deeper into your word today, that you would help us to keep that in mind, that you're a God of restoration, and that as your people, we are people of restoration as well. Speak to us today, Lord. Use my words as tools of the Holy Spirit to encourage us. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul says in verse one, if anyone is caught in any transgression. What he's referring to by caught is not got caught. <laughs> he's not saying, if anyone's gotten caught while they were sinning. This isn't Shaggy saying, it wasn't me, okay? <laughs> he, he, he's not saying, if, if you were doing something and you've been hiding it for a long time and all of a sudden you've been found out, that's not what he's talking about here. Um, now, I think... 
uh, what we're getting to here, I hope we see already, is, is that God's goal for all of us is that we're restored. And I, I think the answer for that person is that they, we attempt to restore them as well. But I just want to make the point here that that's not what Paul is talking about. He's not talking about getting caught in our sin. He's talking about getting caught in such a way that maybe if we thought of the word like this, we got ambushed by sin. You, you might think of it like this, like I tripped or I slipped and I stumbled into sin. I kind of fell and, and stumbled and here I am. I, I think we can all say that I would assume all of us who have been following Jesus for more than a day would say we've been there at one point in our lives. We stumbled and slipped into some kind of transgression. And it's important to realize that there's a difference between stumbling and a difference between being in complete rebellion against God. The, the rebellious person, that's not who Paul is talking about here. We're, we're talking today, and we don't have time to talk about all of the, that when come to a rebellious person today, but what he's talking about here is the person who stumbles and slips and trips into sin. Now, we've all got a story as human beings about slipping and falling somehow, whether it be on the ice uh, some of us are clumsier than others, and I fell down my stairs at home. Last, the stairs that I walk down every morning, I fell down those stairs while I was carrying the baby. Don't tell my wife. Everybody's fine. Everybody's fine. She slept through the whole thing. Um, I limped for a week. She's like, what's my wife? What's wrong? Oh, nothing, babe. Nothing. I'm fine. But we've all got those stories. Uh, uh, most of us, if not all of us, and if it hasn't happened to you yet, it will at some point. You've done everything you have could in the wintertime to make sure that your feet don't somehow end up over your head as you're walking through the snow. But, but at some point, you've hit that patch of ice that was covered by snow that you didn't know was slick underneath there, and now all of a sudden, you're on the floor. Some of us when we've stumbled and fallen, have done so in front of other people, and they just walked right past us and did nothing to help us. When I was about five or six years old, my brother, who's a couple years younger than I am, got his knee stuck in the bed frames of our bunk bed. And as you can imagine, it was terrifying for this three or four-year-old, and he's screaming his head off. And my mom comes in, and she sees the distress that he's in, and so her only way to help in that moment is to also scream her head off. And I'm just standing there as like this kindergartner, like, what is going on? And my dad comes in, and he's trying to like yank my brother's knee out, and he's just screaming louder. My mom's screaming louder. You're hurting him, Bill. You're hurting him. My dad turns to me, the only other sane one in the room at the time. <laughs> And he looks me in the eyes and he says, go get me some butter. Butter? Okay. I don't understand why. It doesn't seem like a time for toast, Dad, but I'll do what you said if it's a way I can help. So I run to the kitchen and I grab like a, a tub of margarine. Now, just as a side note, if you don't know me, my family, we're real down to earth. Um, not wealthy, you know, we just like saved a lot of stuff, you know, for example, an empty mayonnaise jar is now a glass, right? Or, or, or the, uh, the empty margarine tub is now a container for leftover tomatoes. I grab the margarine tub out of the fridge and I rush down the hallway to save my brother and my dad 
who's being yelled at by both my brother and my mom. And as I'm rushing down the hallway, five-year-old clumsy Joe trips in the hallway and all of these tomatoes, like stewed tomatoes, gush out in front of me. I look like I fell down and exploded, right? My mom comes out of the room because she hears the thud or maybe I said, oh no, I don't remember. But I remember my mom comes out of the room and all she sees is me on the floor and red stuff everywhere. And she screams in the hallway now, Bill, come here, Bill's my dad. And my dad comes out, jumps out, takes one look at me, shakes his head and walks right over my body, not even checking if I've actually exploded or not, and goes and gets the butter. I tell that story to say this, like, ha, 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 it's funny, we all fall down sometimes, right? Joe's clumsy, he falls down a lot. It happens, and, and it, it, it happens we fall down sometimes because we're humans. It just is a part of life. Like, sometimes we can't control what happens. Sometimes we're in a hurry, and we slip and fall, and, and unexpected things occur in that moment. Well, we all stumble sometimes in our faith just because we're, we're humans, it's what happens. It's part of being a Christian and experiencing God's grace is that he hasn't called us to be perfect people. He's called us to be people who when we do trip and stumble and fall down, we still rely on his grace. Now, the funny thing about that story is that my dad just like stepped over my lifeless body and went to go get the butter to help my brother. He didn't think about helping me up, but he did help my brother. That's not a thing I'm bitter about. At all, it's like, hope you can tell. But it is so easy for us to do that when we see another brother or sister in Christ stumble and fall down. Uh, it's so easy to just walk right past them, step over them sometimes, because we've got so much going on. There's just too much to do. It requires so much more time and patience to bend down and pick them up clean off their mess, and help them move along. The Apostle Paul says that as people who are spiritual, verse one, if anyone's caught in any transgression, if anyone slips and falls down and tumbles over and finds themselves in a mess, that you who are spiritual, and he's not talking about people who are in the church and of a, like a different grade than others. I heard a person say it like this one time. He said, I am a very spiritual person. And by that, I mean, I believe that God's spirit can guide my life. I believe that, that God's spirit lives within me, but I'm not a very spiritual person. Does that make sense, the difference? Because if you've been in the church for a long time, you might meet a lot of spiritual people. Who, who are spiritual in the way that they talk and, and spiritual in the way that they behave, but their lives truly have nothing to do with the spirit of God living inside of them. And the way we tell that is by the way they treat those around them, particularly those who have stumbled. So when Paul says, you who are spiritual, what he's saying is this, you who have been filled with God's spirit and have this fruit of gentleness that he referred to in the last chapter, those of you that God's spirit is leading and guiding, those of you who are walking in the spirit, you can restore that person. It doesn't say those of you who are perfect, 
those of you who have never sinned yourselves, those of you who have everything figured out and are doing great in your relationship with Jesus, it says you who are spiritual, and we've twisted the meaning of that word spiritual to mean that somehow my relationship with God is a little bit closer to him than yours, and I'm very spiritual. What it means is God's spirit is in me, and I have nothing to do with that except for my faith in Jesus Christ. Because of my faith in Jesus Christ, we might read it like this. Those of you who have faith in Jesus Christ and have been changed by God's spirit can restore that person. Now, this word restore uh, literally means to, to mend, to fix, to make whole again. Take something that was broken and make it not broken anymore. And so instead of walking on by, it's bending down and picking up and helping that person to get along. Uh, and here he says, you should do it in a spirit of gentleness and keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. It's said that one of the early church fathers was informed that a member of his congregation um, was found to be in an adulterous relationship. And this early church father uh, when asked what he should do about it, he said, I'm, I'm going to have grace for them because he fell yesterday, but I could fall tomorrow. Keeping in mind that every one of us is susceptible to stumbling and falling over because we're people, because we're entirely dependent on God's spirit. We all stumble and fall down, and we all need a lot of help getting back up. This is what I think is maybe the difference between a person who is stumbled and caught in a transgression in that way and a person who is in rebellion against God is that the person who's in rebellion against God probably started with a stumble. None of us who are filled with God's spirit following Jesus wake up in the morning and say, how can I rebel against God today and drift very far away from him. We don't wake up thinking that. What happens to us is that somewhere along the way, we stumble and we fall down. And for whatever reason, we laid there. Maybe because it felt more comfortable to lay down in our mess for a while. Maybe because no one around us was willing to come and help and pick us up. If you remember 10 to 12 years ago, there was an old commercial from GM, General Motors, and this was on the heels of their big bailout from the government where they were in incredible debt to the government after the financial crash. And, and they did this commercial after they'd uh, done a lot of work to pay off their debts. And they did a commercial to really thank the people who'd helped them do that by buying their product again. And the commercial looked like this. It, it was uh, a scene of a, a boxing match where one of the people was knocked down. It was a scene of Popeye, the old cartoon, and he's sinking in some water. Different failures and, and different occurrences of people falling over and over again. This was the commercial. And then at some point in the commercial, the story began to flip. The boxer who was knocked down got up and got his second win. Popeye ate some spinach and began to swim to the top. There was a turnaround in there, and at the end of the commercial, the words, we all fall down, show up on the screen. Do you, does anybody remember that commercial? Am I the only one, weird one who remembers that, that commercial? It, it says, we all fall down, and then the next line that came up was, thank you for helping us get back up. Even in the world, this business recognized that, that there's no way to succeed, there's no way to get back up alone. 
by ourselves. Because we're Americans, we firmly believe in pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We've probably even quoted the Bible and said, God helps those who help themselves. If you think that's in the Bible, it's not. It's not in the Bible. What the Bible tells us is that we're all people who are completely helpless without God's spirit and another person to come alongside us and say, you know what, you stumbled, you fell, but here I am to help you get back up. I think the difference between people who stumble and those who are in complete rebellion is that maybe somewhere along the way, no one stopped to help them get back up. And so now all they know is to stay there in rebellion. We cannot stand without the help of other people because we cannot stand, we cannot walk with God's spirit without his spirit. The way other people play into this is that we need other people who are filled with God's spirit to come alongside of us and encourage us from his spirit and to help us along the way. I say this all the time, uh, we're all walking together with Jesus, with one another towards to follow Jesus. We're all walking together. Sometimes we're locked arm in arm. Sometimes it feels like we're running, like we've hit a stride and we're doing great. Sometimes it feels like the person that I'm walking with to follow Jesus has to stop and drag me along behind them. I'm not opposed to dragging people if we need to, to help restore them and to help them to follow Jesus. The point is, no one can do it on our own. Oh. The goal is always restoration. He says you should restore that person in a spirit of gentleness. The goal is restoration. That's not even a question. It shouldn't even be a question for us. Well, what do we do with that person who has stumbled and fallen? That question should never cross our mind. The answer should always be we stop and help them. We restore them. Here's where we sometimes get it wrong and where sometimes it's very hard for us is he said you should do it in a spirit of gentleness. That's really hard for us to do it in a spirit of gentleness. Um, I'll just tell you what I've seen in the church sometimes when it comes to attempting to restore someone who has stumbled and fallen down. Sometimes it looks like condemnation where we, we might stop and say to that person who's on the ground, well, if you wouldn't have been walking there, you wouldn't have fallen down. Well, if you wouldn't have worn flip-flops today, you wouldn't have fallen down. If you wouldn't have done this, and, and, and we put the blame on them for them having fallen down. That very well may be true, but that is never helpful to any, I don't know that that's ever helped any person by telling them, you're in the position you are because you are really screwed up. I don't know that that's ever helped anybody. Sometimes, restoration, or what we think is restoration, it looks a lot like gossip. What I mean by that is, is this, like I saw that person fall down and before I bent down to pick them up, I got out my phone and texted my friend and took a picture of them on the ground and said, you'll never believe what Dalton just did. <laughs> we should pray for them. Like we somehow make our gossip okay by throwing that on the end of it. We should pray for them. I'm only telling you this because I know you pray. I know you, I know you talk to Jesus about things and 15 other people about the stuff that we talk about. Uh, sometimes what we think is restoration is in fact gossip. Sometimes it's humiliation. Well, I'll help you get back up, but I better never see you here again. Or you better not wear those shoes this time. You better not be doing this thing again. You know what, I'll help you get back up, but we're really gonna have to, to 
you know, limit the influence that you have in, in my life or my family's. That's humiliation. That's not restoration. And sometimes that's what we in the church think restoration is. Restoration by the gospel is supposed to be a healing act. It's supposed to acknowledge wounds that exist and do whatever is necessary to help bind them up. It's supposed to bring wholeness, which means that person is, is restored to the point that they were before. We, we no longer remember that they were a person who stumbled and fell down. They're now just a person who's standing and walking again. It's supposed to fix the problem without hurting the person, or without doing the condemnation, the gossip, the humiliation thing. And this is really hard for us to grab onto in our culture because while the gospel says restore, this is what Jesus has come to do, undo the works of the devil, to restore people to God's original design, our culture shouts to cancel everything and everyone, to write people off for wrongs that they've done, for wrongs that they did 20 years ago. Now, I will say this, um, restoration doesn't mean there's no accountability for a thing that for a wrong that was done. It, it, here's the thing, like it, it's normal to fall. It's just not okay. It's not God's plan that we fall down. He doesn't want us to fall down. He wants us walking. He wants us to be following him and, and doing the right thing. His goal for us is that we become like Jesus, but we stumble and fall a lot along the way. So there is accountability in place for that. So I'm not saying that restoration is without accountability. But what I'm saying is this, uh, restoration, picking someone up, has to be done in a way that's opposite from what our culture does, which says, you write that person off completely. We don't associate with them anymore. We don't buy their product anymore. I don't shop at their store because of their differences of opinion than mine. I, I, don't, I don't listen to their music anymore because of what they've done. There's a, a pastor, popular pastor right now who's going through some serious issues um, from his leadership and choices that he made. And this church has a, a band with lots of CDs that they've put out. It's a great worship movement all across the world, actually. And because of the, the failures of this particular pastor, I'm now hearing people question, well, should we even listen to the music anymore? That's a stupid question to me. If you've asked it, I'm sorry. I just called you stupid. But I think it's stupid because here's the thing. Like, we don't write off everything a person is because they've stumbled and fallen and screwed up. We don't even write people off because they're in complete rebellion against God. Why do I know that? Because Jesus has written no one off. He, he, he writes us into what the Bible calls, it gives us this picture that, that somewhere in heaven, he has this book called the book of life. And I don't know if it's a real book or not, but it's just a picture the Bible gives us. And it says, those of us who have faith in him, he's written our names down in that book and that he'll never blot it out. Why do we think we can blot people's names out? I don't know why we do, but we do, don't we? And here's what I think it is, is because we're trying to do what the Galatians were doing over and over and over again, which Paul cautioned them against over and over and over again. And it's this very thing, which he says in uh, verse eight, the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. 
It's easy to read that verse and say, if you do things that your flesh likes, your life will be corrupted. I think what he's saying is this. If you attempt anything in your own energy and your own power by your own fleshly effort, all you're going to get out of that is corruption. And any time we attempt to, quote unquote, help someone who's fallen down in our own power without the Holy Spirit's gentleness, all it will do is corrupt them and the action itself. I think we do it because we think we can do it. Once again, it comes back to this, what Jesus told the disciples, his closest friends, the night before he was crucified, he said to them, without me, you can do nothing. Without me, you can do nothing. You you, you can't follow me without me. It's kind of the weirdest plan in the world, isn't it? We need him to be with him. You can't make this stuff up. We need him to follow him. We need one another to follow him. Without him, you can do nothing. Now, here's the interesting thing about all of that to me is that while all around us the message is write people off because of what they've done, uh, don't, don't turn back to, to them. Don't, don't, you know what? Some people aren't even worth our time to bend down and help pick them up. And, and I think the problem with that is, or the reasoning for that, is because it's just like my dad walking over my lifeless tomatoed body. It's because he was busy. He had no time. He had another crisis to handle. He didn't have time to stop and pick Joe up from the floor. Restoring people in the way that the Bible talks about in a spirit of gentleness requires great patience and time. And we just don't have those things in our culture. The the, the gospel commands us, the spirit of God inside of us encourages us to do everything differently. The culture says we quickly write off and move on. And honestly, without Jesus, without the gospel, that's really the only right answer, right? Of course that's what we do. We write them off and move on because there's no time to help them. There's no time to stop. There's no time to fix it. But the work of Jesus Christ is sometimes like a pot roast. It cooks low and slow. I heard a pastor say one time, God takes forever to do something real quick. And patience is not a virtue in our culture. That is necessary if we are to restore people in a spirit of gentleness. Now, it's normal to fall. A couple things I want to cover again. It's normal to fall. It's not okay to stay there. We got to get back up, and we need each other to get back up. It's normal to see other people fall down. Uh, It's not okay to leave them there. We help them get back up. They need us to, to get them back up. And guess what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need you to help me get back up the next time I fall. Uh, so I suspect that in this room, there might be two different groups of people. One group is, I, I recently stumbled and fell, or I've been through a really long season of time where it felt like I just laid on the ground after stumbling and falling. And I don't know if there's any hope for me at all because I laid here myself the whole time And I want to say to you, there's hope for you. This is Jesus saying to you, you can get up. Second group of people in the room might be those who have seen someone around them stumble and fall. And our response to that has not been one of gentleness. 
It's not been one of patience and helpfulness. It's been one of condemnation and humiliation, perhaps even gossip. I will say to you, God wants to restore you too. Because in that, you have fallen as well. We all slip up and fall. We all need each other. This is why Jesus came. Um, Because he knew that we would mess it up over and over and over again and there'd be no way for us to be perfect on this side of eternity. And so he came and he gave his life. He allowed his body to be broken and he allowed his blood to be shed. And I wanted to focus on that at the end of my message, which is why we've saved communion for the very end. So uh, there's a little cup on a seat next to you. And in that cup, there's, a, there's two layers to open it. Just give you a quick instruction because it confuses me every time. There's, there's two layers. Layer one, there's a wafer in there. Layer two, there's juice underneath that. The first layer is representative of the body of Jesus. Now, I mentioned a few moments ago that the night before Jesus was crucified, um, he was with his closest friends. We call them the 12 disciples or the 12 apostles. And it's in this time that he spends with them that he says to them, without me, you can do nothing. And, and part of that great discourse that he shares with them, part of, part of that moment that he has with them on, on the last night of his life, because he knows he's about to be arrested and crucified, is he shares a meal with them. It's a traditional Jewish meal that they would have shared every year, and it had a lot of symbolic meaning to them about how over and over and over again, God restored their people in spite of their consistent rebellion and stumbling and walking away from them. And so once again, they've come to this moment, this annual celebration, and the 12 are with Jesus. And he says, without me, you can do nothing. And he takes this loaf of bread that's there at the table, which was part of their ceremony, and he breaks it, which is maybe part of what they did every time. I don't, I don't know exactly, but, but Jesus broke it that night and he passed it around to the guys at the table. And he says, I, w- I want you to look at it differently this time. Whereas all this time, every year we come back to this moment and we remember how God has restored our nation um, in spite of our rebellion, um, in spite of our, our breaking of the agreement that we made with him, that we would follow him. He says, this time I want you to look at it differently and see this bread uh, as my body, which is about to be broken in restoration for rebellion against him and restoration for stumbling, the restoration of of running away from God. He passed it around the table. He says, this is my body, which is broken for you. And then he told them to eat it. Now, I think when we look at the broken body of Jesus, and we're gonna eat this together in a moment. I'm trying to hang a moment of suspense in the room for you, just kidding. When we look at the, the, the broken wafer, which we, and I've broken mine, maybe you could do that too, just to, to, to sense that or think of that, that moment, the, the broken body of Jesus, because in a few short hours, he's arrested, and then the next morning, before breakfast, he's hung on a cross. In a few short hours, he's about to be arrested, and his body is about to be whipped and pummeled, in a way that the Bible alludes to the fact that uh, they, they beat him so severely that he was hardly recognizable. And so he's telling them, I, I know what's coming. My body is about to be broken. And it's about to be broken because God's desire for all mankind is that they're restored to a relationship with him. He's saying, I've come for that purpose 
to restore all people to God. And so he broke it and he passed it around. He said, take and eat. And I want us to eat this now together and think of that very thing that as it crunches between our teeth, Jesus' body was broken to cause restoration back to God. He also had at the table with him a cup of wine that before they began to drink it, he said, this cup represents my blood. This wine is a picture of my blood for you. Just as my body is about to be broken for the sake of restoring all things to God, my blood will be shed as my body is broken for the sake of washing away all of our sin, for the sake of washing, washing away all of our rebellion, for the sake of bringing us close again to God. And so he passes this cup of wine around the table and he says, drink it in remembrance of me. So go ahead and drink. Jesus has this last supper with his closest friends. They, they engage in this ceremony together and in the moment they have no idea what they've just done. They, they've just celebrated this thing that they do every year and Jesus changed the words up a little bit this time. They find out the very next day what he was talking about as they saw his body being pummeled and broken, as they watched his blood pour from his wounds on the cross. For us, we look back at that moment. See, it's different for them. They weren't restored to God yet until Jesus had done what he'd done. We can look back from here and see he has restored us through his broken body and through his shed blood. So what does that have to do with me as a Christian? Can't he restore that person who's fallen down? Don't they have their own responsibility to have faith in Jesus? Like, why do I got to bend down and pick them up? The Bible refers to the church as the body of Christ. So every time I take communion and I, and I say those words or hear those words, this is my body which is broken for you. I think of the body of Jesus broken before he was crucified, but I think of you and I, his body broken in the sense that it can be really inconvenient to stop and help that person who stumbled broken in the sense that it can really grind my gears to to help that person that I don't like very much but is my brother in Christ and they need me because they've stumbled and there, there are so many ways that we as his body can be broken for the sake of other people and it might cause us discomfort and it might cause us to wonder what we're doing in that moment but God's goal for all of it is that we take part in his plan of restoration for all mankind. It's a beautiful thing that he would use a bunch of broken people to help a bunch of broken people, isn't it? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that you love us enough to not leave us where we fall and you send others along to help us. You send others along to encourage us. You send others along to pick us up and move us along in following you. 
I pray in Jesus' name that as we reflect on this today, Lord, whether we have stumbled and fallen and we're still laying down or whether we know someone who stumbled and fallen, Lord, that we remember that you're a God who restores all things. And because we are your body, Lord, would you use us to restore those around us? I thank you that in you there's no shame for when we fall. We don't have to feel embarrassed for that. We don't have to we don't have to wonder what you're thinking of us. You just know that that's what's going to happen. And so, Lord, we look to you as the one who, who can help us. We look to you as the one whose spirit empowers us to stand and to help others stand. Help us to be people who walk in your spirit so that when we see another stumbled and fallen down, we stop pick them up. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining with us today. We would love to pray for you and make a connection with you. So please check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Here you can ask questions, request prayer, find past messages and podcasts, or support Renaissance through online giving. We can't wait to hear from you. 